coming up on this episode of Linux for Everyone. Is there actually a complete, intuitive, easy-to-use Google Drive client for Linux? Yes, there is, and we're going to talk about that. Plus, a lot of hardware talk specifically around flagship devices, and we're going to kick off that discussion with Microsoft's new lineup of Surface products and then get into what the heck are flagship Linux devices. And finally, we'll round it out with a quick talk about AMD's newly announced Radeon RX 5500 series. And then I'll take you out with another song from the source and a repeat performance from Demonic Sweaters. Episode 12 starts right now. Hej, mit navn er Jeppe, og jeg lytter til Linux for Everyone i Kongeriget Danmark. Pas på hinanden, og velkommen hjem. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the people who are creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo, and I'm very, very grateful to have you here. So thank you for listening, and thanks for supporting the show in in whatever way that is, whether that's Patreon, or it's encouraging tweets, or being part of our awesome communities on Telegram, and Discord, and Facebook, and everywhere else. So this episode's going to be a little bit different. Um, I've had throughout the past four or five or even six episodes, uh, I've had some truly incredible guests who have offered a, a lot of insight, and they have just been fantastic interviews. But this time around, I'm going to power through it solo, and that's mainly due to some time constraints in uh, producing this episode. I'm going out of town for a few days. But I've got some really interesting things to talk about with you guys. So make yourselves comfortable, grab your favorite beverage, and let's get going. So episode 12's discovery of the week is a little app called Overgrive. Not Overdrive, not Google Drive, but Overgrive. (laughs) This is a Linux Google Drive desktop client. Now before we get into this, I I want to acknowledge that I know many of you would prefer free open source software solutions for your uh, your backup strategy. And I am actually working on a, a series over at Forbes that I, I'm hoping to start releasing in the next two or three weeks that analyzes a bunch of different backup solutions for Linux desktop users, and whether that's um, Nextcloud or Dejadupe, things like that. But many of us are still locked into the Google ecosystem. And that's because a lot of us use Android phones, or maybe it's just that we truthfully lack either the the knowledge or the willpower or the drive to to kind of free ourselves from those those Google chains, so to speak, you know, to to de-Google our life. That is not something that is done lightly. For those of us, including myself, This is probably one of the best solutions I've seen on Linux so far. And I'm not talking about, you know, an extension or some command line tool. This is a a fully-fledged, complete 
Google Drive desktop solution. And it does have a few really cool tricks under the hood for people who prefer using open source uh, Office software like LibreOffice. So let me give you a, a quick summary of what Overdrive is. Uh, this lets you auto-sync Google Drive to your computer, and it lets you selectively sync as well. If, you know, if you only want to select certain folders, if you want to omit certain file types, things like that, that's in there. There is a backup-only option instead of having a two-way sync. You can sync multiple accounts. And here is where Overdrive really caught my attention. You can have it automatically convert Google Docs. So those are the spreadsheets or the documents or the presentations that you've created on Google Docs or Google Drive to an Office file format. And what that means is not, not just Microsoft Office, so you can do Doc, XLS, and, and those, those formats, but you can also have it automatically convert to open document formats, so ODT, ODS. And for me, as someone who uses LibreOffice on all of my devices, that is pretty slick. But then it gets even better if, if you happen to be collaborating with people you can convert those Office files back to the Google Docs format automatically. Now, this is not free software. It does cost $4.99 for a license. That's, that's just a one-time $4.99 fee to, uh, to use it forever. But the nice bit about that is you get a fully functional 14-day trial if you want to play around with it, which I really encourage you to do. Setting this up is really, really straightforward. You uh, simply install it and then authenticate your Google account. So you click verify, it automatically opens your default browser to the appropriate Google Drive authorization page. It gives you a code. You copy that code into the box, you click verify, and you're good to go. And then from there, you can select uh, which folders you want to sync. You can select where on your local computer you want those to be stored. And then you can also set up those, uh, those automatic uh, office format conversions as well. Installing it is also really simple. There are .deb files, there's an RPM file, there's uh, files for Arch, there are instructions, detailed instructions for Ubuntu, Fedora, Raspbian, and Arch. So those are the basics of Overdrive. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh every time I say that because it just sounds strange rolling off the tongue. Now, I really like what the GNOME desktop does integrating your Google account into the system, but this has is so much more robust. And I think if, um, if you do heavily rely on Google Drive for, for your backups or your documents or whatever, I would consider at least giving this a test drive. I'll have a link to Overdrive in this episode's show notes over at Linux for Everyone. Dot fireside dot fm. All right, let's do just a little bit of housekeeping because there was an explosion of it last week, so I'm going to keep it really, really short this week. First is that this show is now on YouTube, so if you prefer consuming your media and podcasts there, then by all means, it's, it's there for you. It's released at the exact same time as the audio version of this show is released, and it's just basically, you're not, you're not missing Anything if you're not watching the YouTube version, though. It's, uh, it's basically a waveform visualizer that's sort of overlaid on top of the album art. 
So if you want to get the show there, subscribe and, uh, you know, ring that bell so you can get notified when there's new stuff. And there's going to be random video content there as well. I don't really have a an established uh, strategy for that just yet, but it is something that I'm trying to build. Uh, but the show itself remains unchanged, whether you watch it on YouTube, listen to it on the web, or get it through your uh, favorite podcast player. And the second thing is I'd, I I want to encourage everyone to join our Telegram community. And I know I talk about it a lot, but it's it's like 430 people strong, and there's just a constant stream of geekery and uh, friendliness and helpfulness and, you know, people sharing music or discussing new hardware, getting help or sharing pictures of their morning coffee preparation. Uh, It just goes all over the place. It's certainly not limited to Linux talk. It's just a bunch of really fun people hanging out and chatting. So you can find the link to that on the show notes as well. But if you're on Telegram, just look for Linux, the number four, everyone. That's Linux, the number four, everyone. And that same tag is applicable to Twitter and Mastodon and Facebook as well. And okay, I lied. There is a third thing. I'll throw out a shameless plug for this show's Patreon. There are a few different tiers you can check out, but the most popular is $4 a month. That's $1 per episode. And that gets you the show an entire day early, as well as in 320K mp3 audio which is just something that i personally wanted to do especially for the music segments so a gigantic thank you to all 59 of my patrons i really appreciate you guys all right near the end of the show there'll be uh, another linux origin story and of course another song from the source but before that we are going to dig into some hardware we're going to talk about a lot of hardware so i hope you like hardware personally I love hardware. I love new technology. I love innovative little tweaks on existing designs, regardless of what operating system ships on that hardware. And that is kind of the core focus of this segment. We're going to talk about flagship devices. And I'm going to open this up with a a bit of a thought exercise. And I would actually encourage you to pause the show after I ask you this, and really give it some thought. Okay, so when I think about a flagship device, a flagship piece of hardware, to me, that exemplifies the best experience you can have on a certain platform. It's premium, it's sexy, and it's innovative. So here's the thought exercise. Try to think of two flagship Microsoft or Windows devices. Next, try to think of two flagship Apple devices. And finally, try to think of two flagship Linux devices. Okay? Now, I'm serious. Pause the show. Now, there really aren't any wrong answers here, okay? And I understand that Microsoft is a company and Apple is a company and Linux is a kernel. I asked this same thing on Twitter earlier this week, and probably there's 70 responses or so, and the range of responses is enormous. It's a little more predictable when we come around to Apple, right? Uh, iPhone, MacBook Pro, sure. Microsoft or or Windows, well, you know, maybe the Xbox, um, the Surface, 
the Surface Pro, things like that. But then when we get into Linux, I, I think you, you start to understand kind of what I'm getting at. What is a device that sells people on Linux? Like, I have to have this piece of hardware because it's it's so sexy and it's doing something different and it has mainstream appeal and I need it. For many people, the answer on the Linux side was the Purism Librem 5 smartphone or the System76 Thelio or the System76 uh, Oryx Pro. For others, it was Dell's XPS 13 Developer Edition. And some people even said the Tesla Model S. Others said the Raspberry Pi. Uh, some people even uh, pointed to the Google Pixel on a technicality and TiVo. Now, what really got me thinking about this was Microsoft's Surface presentation. As you're listening to this, it was last week where they had an event in New York and they unveiled a bunch of new Surface products. There's a dual screen Surface Neo. There's a uh, smaller dual screen Surface phone that's running Android. And in the mix was also the Surface Pro X. But I would say the most intriguing to me was the Surface Neo. So this is a dual screen tablet laptop hybrid. And it has this magnetic keyboard that you can just slap onto the screen and it senses where you've placed it. And then the, the UI and the display will adjust to adapt to that. And so maybe you're watching, I don't know, uh, you're, you're binge watching something on Netflix on the top screen. And then that upper third of the bottom screen will sort of be, you know, a little window for emojis, or it'll be uh, maybe you can drag your Netflix window down there and bring an office document or something that you're working on up to the, uh, the full screen. But that's just, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I want it. I don't necessarily know if I want to run Windows on it, but I want that experience. I want that that new twist on an existing form factor. It's exciting. That's the bottom line. It's exciting and it makes me want to experience it. And that is something that I'm afraid we don't have in the Linux world. Now, I want to read a couple posts. These come from the Destination Linux Network Forum, which is at discourse.destinationlinux.network. And this thread was created by Ryan, a.k.a. Dosgeek, who I'm sure most of you know at this point. And apparently he and I are a little bit on the same wavelength. Uh, he, he's really excited about the new Surface devices, and he has been running several Surface devices. Uh, the latest one, I think it's a Surface Go with Endeavor OS installed on it. Here's a snippet of what he says. Up to this point... You can take the Surface tablets and laptops and convert them to Linux and make them even more productive machines. However, with these latest innovations and the latest Surface phone just announced, with the dual screens, folding screens, extra subscreens on keyboards for all this extra, extra, extra stuff, I started realizing that Linux distros and FOSS apps today are not built to function in those environments. He continues, if history is a lesson, then Dell, Lenovo, and others will likely start copying these form factors of screens on keyboards and multitasking tablets with peripherals that snap on with drivers built into the OS to change form factors on the fly. To be clear, the difference between these devices is the fact that the hardware and software integration are so heavily reliant on each other 
Therefore, installing a secondary OS or even duplicating productivity via these apps, not specifically designed around the form factor, becomes difficult to replicate. I know that's a very meaty couple paragraphs, and you, you may have to rewind and, and listen to that again. Um, and now I'm going to read a response from Demotep. This always comes to the forefront of my mind as well, and is an area that I think Linux lacks from a consumer side. A company like Apple, Google, or Microsoft come out with a cool new form factor, others follow suit, and Linux is left catching up and shoehorning itself onto hardware designed for something else. He continues, I see this stemming from the lack of a major company that designs innovative hardware designed to work for Linux. It would be great to see a company like System76 holding events like this and hyping up the hardware that they sell. Ryan, Demotep, very well said. These are some powerful statements within these two posts and powerful ideas that we cannot just leave on a forum to be forgotten. I think that once again, this all comes down to a weakness with Linux-based marketing. I mean, look at the System76 Thaleo. That is a breathtaking piece of hardware, custom-designed, made with actual wood. I mean, that, folks, is a flagship product. Now, don't mistake a flagship product for a great product. Stuff like the Pine Phone, the Librem 5, those could turn out to be great Linux products. The Pinebook Pro, the Star Labs machines that we talked about last week with Artyom Zorin, the XPS 13 Developer Edition laptops, great machines. What if System76 had the resources and the money to really put on a spectacle around the launch of the Thelio, right? What if that happened? What if they could reach and target not just a slice of a Linux audience, you know, not Linux press or Linux enthusiasts, but what if they could reach a mainstream enthusiast, a mainstream business market with that machine? I don't even necessarily mean selling it to them. I just mean hosting an event where that machine that they've built is front and center, and that machine makes the wider world go, oh man, this is made for Linux? Look at, the, look at how beautiful it is. Look at how fast the operating system is. Look at all this stuff that it can do. I didn't know that. Maybe I should be paying attention to Linux. Now, to be fair, I think that our best shot at having a, a very large visible presence in the, the flagship hardware space is probably Dell. For seven years, their Project Sputnik team has been promoting the heck out of the developer edition systems. And they've been driving home the fact that they ship Linux on, you know, 160 unique platforms. They're putting a lot of effort and work into drivers and then sending those drivers upstream so that other Linux distributions and other hardware manufacturers can more easily put Linux on their systems. And they finally have their own dedicated website for the developer edition systems and uh, servers and desktops and laptops with Linux on them, dell.com slash Linux. 
And you know what? About six years ago, Valve put their hat in the ring as well. In 2013, when they launched Steam Machines and Steam OS, that was a noble effort. Maybe they could have been more successful if something like Proton had existed back in 2013, 2014. Maybe Valve will do it again. Maybe there'll be a Steam Machines 2.0. I don't have the answers, but I feel like it's going to take a monumental, but not impossible, effort. For example, what if there was an independent body, uh, an independent entity that was solely dedicated to Linux marketing? Not associated with any distribution, not associated with any desktop environment, not associated with any aspect of Linux except marketing Linux. Now, as Terry L. Uh, suggested, and he responded to my, my thoughts on this on the, on the DLN forum, you know, that's, that's going to take a lot of money, right? There's, there's no doubt. That money probably will not come from Linux users. It'll probably have to come from a Red Hat or a Dell or a Canonical. But that doesn't mean they get to influence the messaging. That means they are, they are contributing a substantial amount of, of money and resources towards desktop Linux adoption, period. Towards a, a focused, sharp, slick, widespread campaign that shows off how beautiful and fast and privacy-conscious Linux is. And who knows, maybe someday we'll see this, this avalanche of smaller initiatives like what System76 is doing, what Dell is doing with Project Sputnik, what the Zorin group is doing with their software-as-a-service uh, deployment tool for, you know, for large businesses, for governments, for schools. Maybe that'll all come together and we'll reach this tipping point. But honestly, gang, I, I think it's going to take something massive, something huge, a concerted effort that has a ton of money behind it. And I don't think that's impossible. And I don't really mind dreaming big like that. I really don't. This is a ramble. This is a, this is a rant. This is kind of a stream of consciousness uh, discussion here. But I'm putting it out there. And I, I'd really love to hear what you think about this entire situation. You can email me at uh, linuxforeveryone at pm.me. You can talk to me on Telegram or Twitter or Facebook. Plenty of ways to reach me. And if you have any thoughts about this whatsoever, uh, definitely reach out and let me know, okay? All right, so let's keep the hardware theme rolling uh, by talking about the newly announced Radeon RX 5500 series. If you were really excited by the uh, the 5700 and the 5700 XT graphics cards from AMD, but those were a little too rich for your blood, after all, those were uh, those were mainly targeting 1440p ultra gaming. Then the 5500 and 5500 mobile might be more your speed. This is targeted uh, exclusively at 1080p gaming, and it's looking like it's going to very effectively compete against NVIDIA's GTX 1650. Now, as I'm recording this, there are still some details left out 
The embargo lifts on October 7th, and you're probably hearing this on October 8th or 9th. But uh, I was at a press briefing on the 30th of September where AMD talked about the new 5500 series as well as a new laptop that is going to launch with it. For those of you who like the really detailed uh, tech specs and architecture info, I have an article up at Forbes with all of that stuff, charts and details, etc. But I wanted to run down what excites me the most about this card. Now, according to internal benchmarks and you have to take these with a grain of salt sometimes because these are these are benchmarks that AMD runs within the company and sometimes they're kind of cherry picked but the takeaway at least from the presentation is that the expected performance of the RX 5500 will be 37% higher than the GTX 1650 in esports titles and up to 30% higher in more graphically demanding uh, AAA-style games. So the chart that we were shown during the press briefing shows, uh, let's see, six esports titles all running at 90 FPS or higher at 1080p, and that is under like high ultra or, you know, epic settings, depending on the game. So the quality levels are maxed out. Uh, Let's see, World of Warcraft, for example, the GTX 1650 hits 85 FPS, whereas the RX 5500 hits 115 FPS. And the biggest one, this is like a 50% higher frame rate here, is Overwatch. And that is uh, 89 FPS for the GTX 1650 and... 135 FPS for the Radeon RX 5500. Now, these are obviously uh, performance results under Windows with the latest Windows uh, Radeon and NVIDIA drivers, but I would still expect that, that we'll see some pretty decent performance gains on Linux as well. Now, what I find really interesting about this launch is AMD's doing this a little bit differently than they've done before. So there's not going to be a reference version. You know how they uh, they released the 5700 and 5700 XT with the reference designs. And then later on, the uh, board partners, you know, Asus and those guys, released their own custom variants, you know, with the uh, custom shrouds and their own kind of cooling solutions, things like that. But here, AMD is not doing a reference version. They're leaving that entirely up to the board partners And the first, it looks like the first thing that's going to launch is a laptop. And this is the MSI Alpha 15. And it's supposed to launch by the end of October, and it looks really sweet. So uh, the, the, the crucial specs here are that it ships, it's all AMD, right? So it ships with the Ryzen 7 3750H CPU. It ships with a Radeon RX 5500M graphics card, and it has a 1080p 144Hz IPS FreeSync display. And that's what really got me excited. This entire, the entire AMD ecosystem in this nice, thin 1080p gaming laptop. Now, unfortunately, I, I do not know the price of this laptop yet, and I don't know the price of the 5500 series yet, because I think that uh, AMD is keeping this very, very close to the chest 
until just before the embargo drops, and they're probably going to send us an email going, here's the price. And I would imagine that's because NVIDIA also has something uh, up their sleeve, which they'll probably announce a week or two after um, AMD gets this, this news out. So by the time you're hearing this, I'm sure that the pricing will be revealed, but I would expect it to be under $200. And so if, you, if you're a Linux gamer and you've been holding on to the RX 480 or even older, this looks like it might be a substantial upgrade. And you know what? I actually wanted to touch on some, uh, some other benchmarks as well. I talked about the eSports benchmarks, but we also got a chart that showed some more graphically demanding games. And I'm assuming this is on the laptop, the, the MSI Alpha laptop, or it's a similarly specced laptop that they had as a, as a prototype in the labs or something. So this is what the 5500M at 1080p, uh, for example, let's see, I'm looking for titles that actually run under, under Linux via Proton, maybe. Battlefield 5, the GTX 1650 gets 55 FPS. And the RX 5500M gets 79 FPS, and that's on Ultra at 1080p. And then Monster Hunter World, which we know runs pretty well under Proton, that goes just above 61 FPS with the uh, the new 5500M, and the GTX 1650 gets about 47. So all in all, this looks like a really fascinating launch to, to keep tabs on because not only are they launching with sort of a, a flagship laptop for this card, but they're also leaving the custom cards, you know, entirely up to the board partners. I think that'll actually work in their favor because I like AMD's reference designs, especially recently, but they do run a little bit hot and, you know, they do have the uh, the blower style cooler and a lot of people prefer the dual fan designs. So yeah, um, and and the performance looks like it's going to be really fantastic. And then, of course, because it's on seven nanometer, and using the uh, the new RDNA architecture, you're going to get a lot more performance per watt, meaning you're not going to have some uh, burning pile of fire on your lap uh, on the mobile side. And the die size of the GPU is smaller, and yet the performance per area is like uh, 1.6x higher. But now I'm getting into the weeds, but you could check out my Forbes article for more or just read the web for uh, more coverage. I will hopefully be getting this laptop. I can't make any promises, but I'm going to beg and plead AMD for one because the hardware looks quite compatible with Linux. And uh, I think this could be a really, really cool laptop. And, and you know, f- uh, FreeSync works with Linux now as of the 5.0 kernel, I think. So yeah, all in all, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. So that's the, uh, the RX 5500 and 5500M, which should all be launching by the end of October. And last but not least in this uh, slightly shorter episode of Linux for Everyone, I've got another song from the source. And this one is a repeat performance from Demonic Sweaters. Because I absolutely adored last week's track, and the more I have been digging into this guy's discography, the more impressed I am, especially these albums that feature live drums. The guy is such a talented drummer. And uh, on this album, the album is called Visitors, also released in 2017, just like last week's album. I, this guy is so prolific, it's, it's insane. He plays all the instruments. It's produced on Linux. It has uh, what he calls homemade sound fonts, drums, live drums 
guitar, synths, samples, MIDI sequencing, and extraterrestrial contact. (laughs) The track is called MIDI Plus, and it is one of the finer examples of his drumming prowess. Very, very articulate, precise drumming and, and some kind of funky time signatures in the mix, too. Seriously, check this guy out. Demonic Sweaters, you can find him on Bandcamp, on YouTube, on archive.org, all over the place. There is just a ton of music to dig into. And if you have a suggestion for a future song from the source, please do get in touch with me. I have a separate email for that so that I can keep track, and that is very easy to remember. Songs from the source at pm.me. So I'm going to take you out with Demonic Sweater's track MIDI Plus from the album Visitors. And until we meet again, take care and take care of each other.
so let me give you a quick rundown of of what overdrive. <laughs> it sounds so funny to say of what o- over. 